Uh, hello, I'm Joe. Um, so today we'll be talking about the second third of the book, How Dare the Sunrise by Sandra Oringam Yamana. Chapters 12 through 20 about, and we will be splitting it up into three different parts. Uh, so recovering from the massacre and the sexual assault of Sandra, um, the application process and traveling to America, um, and her life in Rochester, New York, be like the, we'll sort of split it up. Um, so our first topic will be like her recovering from the massacre and her sexual assault case. Um, you know, so when I remember sort of reading the, um, the book right after and it's like, oh, she went to the, um, like it was a cousin's house or something and they, they stayed somewhere in Rwanda or Burundi. I think it was Burundi and then they moved to Rwanda later, but um, they stayed in Burundi and it was, everybody was sort of treated like they were like glass, like, cause they were afraid, you know, Hey, you just experienced this horrible thing, you know? And so everybody, nobody liked to really play with them or joke with them. And I think, uh, in the book, Sandra described that as sort of taking a toll on her, um, as a child. So... Joe, wasn't it like the one since they couldn't really like talk and stuff about like what happened? Wasn't like one of the things they all like did was like cry a lot? Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean like Um I mean in, in the book it you know, I think anybody would cry a lot after experiencing something like that. Um, you know, I also thought it was interesting how it you know, it almost pretty much gave her PTSD um, whenever she said she would sort of wake up in the middle of the night, you know, shivering and she just could never go to bed in it. Um, you know, that also took a physiological toll on her, um, you know, which I think is definitely warranted with what they went through. Um, you know, and I think that might have also been part of the reason why later in the book, whenever I think her her cousin's husband tried to um, rape her. Like, he probably thought that, like, oh, she's sort of weak right now. She she won't really resist or anything. Um, you know, just because she doesn't really know what's happening. And so he sort of took advantage of her, which is a completely horrible thing to do. experiencing all that I can like see how it would be like so hard to just like move on with everyday life and continue to act normal yeah like even at the beginning of the book not only does the main character have to deal with like like the trauma that she just went to but she also feels a lot of guilt in herself because every time her own mom looks at her the mom starts crying and the main character thinks it's because like maybe it's because i remind her of like the youngest daughter that died deborah and so she feels guilty for like even just existing because she doesn't want to make her mom cry whenever she dies it wasn't her fault she still feels bad about it like she feels like she has so many like emotions that she can't like process like like that it's not her fault and she thinks it's like everything is because of her yeah i think this chapter is very eye-opening because it said that like people would just randomly cry and she was just like 
a young kid right now, she's 10 years old. But nowadays, 10 year olds, they cry over like any minor inconvenience. It just changes how I'm looking at my life. And I need to be more thankful for what I have. Yeah. Yeah, and like uh, a little bit later on to the book when they move, like it's crazy how much like a trauma could change someone. Like she was only 10, and like you know how 10 year olds are today. And like, she says in the book that like she felt humbled when she was like sitting there waiting for water because she'd wait for the water to drip from the pipe so that she could get water for her family when they moved. And she says that she feels like humbled by the experience. And it's it's so wild that like a 10 year old would have to go through that because if you think about it, 10 year olds usually are like really selfish and like self-centered for the most part at least. I mean, that's how I was when I was 10 and a lot of my other friends. Yeah. Uh, so oh. like, like uh, you can go. Yeah. Let me. All right. Well, do you have anything to say? Because I'm moving on to like when she moves to Rwanda. Uh. Oh no. You can go. I was gonna talk about well, some later so too. Basically, um, now she's. Uh, their dad thought it would be a good idea to move away from where the massacre happened. So their dad put them on a bus to move to Rwanda, which when they first moved there, they were like all stuck in a tiny apartment, which was like very cramping. Um, generally they didn't have like any food or water or they had to like, um, what Evan said, get water from like the tap, which she was like very thankful for. Um, basically they all were talking about how her mom would believe in God and say that they have something to like give them hope. And then that eventually later on in life, they're going to all like become successful and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to point out whenever... We were sort of talking about like, oh, you know, kids nowadays, I think we might have even mentioned this in the last podcast, you know, the the massacre happened in 2004, you know, I was born in 2004, it's, so it happened 16 years ago, um, you know, I think it's less of, hey, it, it happened a long time ago and people have changed now, it's more of, hey, that's just the way life is in Africa and you know, some areas that maybe are not as developed as sort of like the, what would be considered the Western nations. Um, you know, so I think it, like people said, it's it's really eye-opening to say like, you know, it's it's just crazy that this can happen somewhere in the world whenever, you know, the, you know, we, we hear about shootings on the news and stuff, but it's always because, you know, for, for various reasons, but it's, it's never really about, like, a lot of times those shootings don't really have a reason. Um, whereas these people tried to justify them through, like, oh, these people are outsiders. We can just kill them without, you know, and it's totally fine. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's hard to, for, for us to sort of comprehend how people can commit these, like, atrocities that we hear about and read about, um, you know, so I just think it's interesting how the culture that you grew up in can really affect, um, the way you see the world. Yeah, it's so crazy to think that, like, even now in, like, modern times, like, these things are still going on in other, like, other countries that aren't as developed and that's just, like, what the norm is for them. Yeah, stuff like that even happens in, like, America. 
like so many horrible things happen like every single day and there's like sex trafficking and there's like some like really like dark stuff if you find like on like the deep web people do some like really messed up things and it's crazy that we've progressed so much as a society and yet we still do stuff like that and it makes me wonder if we'll ever get to a point where even if everyone in the world was nice like someone would end up being evil just because of genetics and it's just how like human beings work i wonder if it's like that Mm -hmm. you mean if it's like just natural human morality is is not like good i think is what you're trying to say that a human in a natural environment yeah i mean that's why like whenever you kind of see humans are like always warring with each other and so you wonder if the natural human idea of living is just to be at war with someone um you know unless in your earlier life it's sort of taught out of you and that's why in the the western nations people most people don't really you know they follow the rules they obey the laws they do you know normal things um and so you think you wonder if like hey is it people are being taught to be bad or they just are never being taught to be good um you know i think so i think that's kind of an older philosophical question is are humans born bad or are they created into something that's not good um so but i don't know if anybody has the answers to that either um but also it sounds like this topic is sort of wrapping up so we move on to the second one which was the application process for sandra um and their life going to america and so uh one of the particular parts about the that i remember in the book was whenever she's saying like, oh, her father had to go to the first two. So there were lots of interviews that they had to do and her father had to go to the first two alone. And, you know, whenever they eventually all went, she was really afraid of messing up the story. And then, you know, people would be like, oh, no, you weren't there. And then they wouldn't be allowed to go to America. Um, You know, so I think that also can be part of, like it can take a mental toll on you if you, feel like oh maybe I can totally mess this up for my whole family um you know it's just rough to read yeah that's basically what happened with her mom because she told us that one of the interviews like of like a lot of interviews she said that um one of the times she said her birthday was like June 1st I think even though it was like the 9th or something and then all of a sudden she had to change her story to match with hers so it's like it's pretty hard to know that you can easily like mess up one story by saying like one thing wrong. Yeah, I feel like she had a lot of anxiety. Like she wanted to, like be able to pass like for for her her family like so badly that she was like trying so hard to to keep everything the same. But even then, like she was still messing up. Yeah, she said that she like obviously knew the answers, but she was so nervous and everyone was getting everything wrong because. Because they were so like traumatized and nervous about the whole situation and they just yeah. wanted to leave like, and get out. A lot of pressure for them to like have like the story be like exact and like have like pass basically. Mm-hmm. And their initial um, 
It also talked about um, splitting up the family. You know, so they counted people over 18 as a separate unit from the family. So, but her and her brother, Alex, and one of their sisters, I can't remember who it was, got to go with their parents to the US, but her other siblings had to go later. Um, and so, so she sort of said like, oh, it was, was kind of scary and a little bit traumatizing to had to be, you had to be split up from your siblings for a long time. And, you know, oh, they're over in, in America and I don't know what it's like, you know, what if they're in trouble or whatever and there's nothing that they could do to help. Fortunately, I don't think any anything happened so far in the book, but, um, you know, I think it just is really illuminating to how, um, you know, how much of the world we typically don't see, um, you know, and often lots of people are like, oh, you can just come to the U.S. the right way, and, you know, it's a lot harder than most people think. Um, yeah. That's like one thing I think people don't notice how hard it is and like how many years you have to wait. Do you guys think like the American dream is actually a thing? Like do you think Sandra and her family truly have a chance of building the life they want to if they work hard enough? Um, to me, uh, I can say it's like kind of in the middle. Like I can understand how like you can actually, like if you work hard enough you can get there. But like, I feel like once you actually get there, it's gonna be a whole different situation than like you actually thought it was like before you were there. Yeah, my my friend's dad came here from Israel and he came here with nothing. And now he he's like really, he, he isn't like rich, rich, but he's doing really well. He owns his own business and everything. And like, he has so much money that it's kind of like, I don't think it's what he was expecting because whenever he goes back to Israel, he seems like actually happy. But whenever he's here, all that he does is stay cooped up in his room and just watches TV all day. And he seems really lonely. And like when people just come here for money, I feel like they don't really get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think to Michael's original point um, about like the the traditional American dream. I don't know if it if it still really exists or not, just because, um, you know, there's the way sort of the economy works nowadays, it, it's hard for you to sort of just get one job and stay with that job, you know, and just progress through the ranks or whatever anymore um, without some higher level education, which lots of people can't. Uh, no, not really, but um, lots of people can't really get it without taking out lots of student loans. And, you know, I think it's just, it's probably achievable, but it's it's a lot harder than it perhaps once was. Um, if it, if the traditional American dream is even achievable anymore. Okay, I was gonna say that I feel like people have a lot of expectations when like coming here to America and then when they actually get here it's like a slap in the face of reality of like how hard it actually is to like make a living here. Mm. Uh, so what Joe said earlier, like how it was gonna be hard to achieve it, I like it kind of shows in the book because Princess had like a degree and everything and like back in her hometown. And then once she moved to America, like, that didn't matter at all. 
So it's like now she has to start over with doing something else, and that like she knowing all that like it legit does not matter anymore when she moves to America. Yeah, like she said, all the yeah. all the American companies don't really care if you have a degree from a university they've never heard of in Africa. You know, so then you can't really use it as much. You know, which I think it's it's fortunate that we do grow up here. You know, because if you get a degree in the U.S., then most of the world would be like, "Oh yeah, this is from a university in the U.S." You know, I'll definitely take this. Um, I assume. I guess I'm not actually sure, but yeah, it's crazy how like we were just talking about this in like world history, like how like self-centered the U.S. comes when it comes to like news and other countries. We just think we're better than everyone, and so we don't bother like doing articles or giving information in other countries and another thing that i wanted to talk about was like how different america is from africa and like uh like even when she goes to the grocery store she's just like amazed by like how like lazy people are like they don't even like walk around they drive and then they go to the grocery store and then they drive around in like the little um handicap carts and uh, she wonders where all these people that she saw on TV were because they were all like super white and like skinny and like wear like super short shorts and like stuff like that. And not just that, but just like the attitude of everyone in America is so much different. Yeah, it's like she's used to growing up with a community where everybody knew each other, but then like in America, everyone locks their doors and don't talk to each other. It's more like antisocial and they're not very welcoming to each other. Like neighbors don't even. crazy for me to think that neighbors actually know each other in other countries because I've never really known my neighbors since I've always grown up in like worse neighborhoods and I wasn't allowed to really talk to my neighbors. Okay, so um, it sounds like this discussion is uh, wrapping up or this, I guess, part. Um, so our third and final topic, we'll be talking about uh, Sandra and her family's life in Rochester in New York um, and so I one of the parts that actually stuck out to me was just sort of she alluded a lot to the American culture being very centric on race you know and she said like later in, in some of the later chapters it was like oh you're black but you speak like a white person you know it seems very um, she said she was told that and, you know, it seems a little bit strange to me because, um, you know, I guess it seems strange to her too because that was never really a thing in in Africa because, you know, everybody, I think, looked the same but also the, the way their communities were formed, um, everybody sort of knew each other and accepted each other a little bit better than perhaps people do in America. Yeah, like when she first moved into her neighborhood, like one of the first thing the kids started doing was just like making fun of her hair and she got so self-conscious about it that she had to buy a wig. And like, kids in America are so mean. And like, it's crazy how it's not like that in other countries. Yeah, I mean, I've never been schooled. Well, I mean, I have been schooled in another country, but I was homeschooled. But, um, 
I mean, we, we can't really know what it was like in other countries, I guess in other like Western nation countries like Britain in there might be more similar to the US. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting how, um, how like it's really, everyone is so hostile, especially they can, you know, she said people could always tell she was from a different place, you know, and that was, they would make fun of her accent and stuff. You know, whenever I read that, you can go. Sorry, I was gonna, I just wanted to add, like, it's crazy how people, like, judge each other from other countries when America itself is a melting pot of its own and we all came from different descents. There's no American. We all came from other countries. Mm-hmm. And, um, I also, I do think it's interesting whenever it says, like, lots of people, you know, people always bullied each other and stuff, you know. I mean, it was... A decade and a half ago but I don't I don't really see bullying like that much much anymore um, you know fortunately I've never been the victim of bullying just because I was always a pretty big kid but um, you know I I don't I don't often see it which maybe it's just because I'm not friends with people who are bullies or you know maybe they just don't do things like that around me. Um, so I wonder if even since she wrote about her experiences or experienced that, if the world has changed or if it has just gotten better at hiding um, with the way that happens. See, I feel like with you said um, bullying, I've personally never been bullied either or I've seen like bullying a lot. So like, I can't really say that it died down because I feel like it's just not happening around me because like I also haven't been like everywhere around the world so I don't know how it is like compared to here okay so it sounds like this topic is sort of uh, wrapping up so uh, this in this discussion we talked about the sort of second third of the book How Did the Sunrise by Sandra Ringim Yamana. Um, it's like chapters 12 through 20. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, see you next time.